so grateful to be with you uh, this, this weekend. It is beautiful and um, excited to be with all of the first timers as well. Uh, Pete got me really excited to come. He said, you know, for the newcomers, we have a water baptism. And so I'm super excited. I think we only cancel if it's 50 below. And so I'm <laughs> so amped. All of my urbanness is super excited about that. And um, I've been in Minnesota all of my life. I've never been out on um, ice willingly. And so I have been told that part of my indoctrination is to get out on the lake. And so someone's going to drive me out there. And I guess we're supposed to like call OnStar and say, I'm lost. Can you help me know where I am? If they saw my picture, they wouldn't be surprised. So that's what we're going to roll with. But before I begin, I want to greet you on behalf of my family. So we'll, uh, we'll throw a pic couple pictures up there. My sweet family uh, wishes that they could be with us. I decided to you know, have some greenery uh, in the picture just to make us long for warmer days. Uh, but we want to greet you um, in the name of Jesus. So grateful for them, these um, anchors and rocks of my life. I'll show you Naomi and Camille. That's kind of far away, but these are our beauties. Yeah, yeah. So that's my sweet Camille. Um, she's very artistic and she's hilarious. She's funny. And then big sister Naomi is next to her. Naomi's 17, um, learning how to drive. Uh, Daddy taught her how to do that. I'm not the kind of person you want to help uh, learn to drive. I'm kind of a stop, you don't slow down kind of thing, where dad is kind of mellow. So Naomi's learning to drive. Um, February 1st, she'll take her driver's ed, and then Joshua and I leave the country. So <laughs> we're super excited that our daughter's beginning to drive when we'll be in Kenya. So all prayers are appreciated. Um, so that's our sweet girls. We're just grateful for them. And then Joshua and I, uh, we've been married 22 years. Yay. Uh, he's the greatest. He's the chief financial officer for the state of Minnesota. For uh, He works for the Pollution Control Agency, so all that affects our water and our land. He oversees all of the finances for that. He's also a worship pastor. And then I've been at Bethel for the last 10 years as dean of campus ministries and campus pastor. Before that, I've worked for Young Life and been a director and been in dunk tanks and eaten strange things on behalf of students all over the country. So um, if, if, I, if I tick or something or I kind of you know, start doing this, then someone just clap twice and I'll come back to you. Um, and then <laughs> I'm in the second year of a four-year doctoral program. So if there are times that you don't see me, I am, I'm being a hermit and you can come and pull me out of uh, my space. But other than that, um, we are grateful to be here with you and pray that the Lord uh, would be magnificently with us and upon us and around us. I am simply your sister in the Lord who has been at this a while. I think this is now my 25th year of, of preaching and being in ministry. So grateful to be here and pray that what the Lord has given me and what uh, he has downloaded in me um, would be pleasing in his sight and a blessing for you all. So this morning, we're going to start um, in the book of Isaiah. We're going to start by talking about out with the old and in with the new. And God, I believe, didn't just give that to me as some way to connect us with what's happening in terms of it being a new year. I really believe that there are some, some things that we need to think about as the body of Christ in terms of letting go of old things, old habits, old patterns, old behaviors, old attitudes, and to receive the new thing that God is doing. Amen? I want God to do a new thing in my life. I don't ever want to become so comfortable with God or my religious life or my Bible studies or other things that I'm not hungering for more of God. 
If I'm not continuing to grow in God, I'm either kind of being stagnant or I've just found that where I am is acceptable. And until Jesus Christ returns, I want to keep growing and I want to keep stretching. And here's the thing. I want to be more bold in Christ. And that means I'm willing to put myself sometimes in uncomfortable places and say uncomfortable things because we're in a world and in a culture right now that doesn't necessarily agree with the the God that we serve. People don't automatically want to hear what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. But how many of you know the culture is speaking its own truth right now? And that truth is not just coming against the church. It's coming for our kids. You hear what I'm saying? It's coming for our kids. So while I love working at Bethel, I can tell you that Bethel is a battleground. Northwestern College is a battleground. Crown College is a battleground. The the battleground for our young people is in the academy. Dr. Ravi Zacharias has told me that, and I've studied with Ravi twice now. The battleground is in the academy. And so if the enemy can't get us, he's going to come after our kids. And so we've got to be people that don't just have a rabid love for Jesus. We've got to be able to tell the world why Jesus is worth serving. Why not Buddha? Why not Allah? Why not Krishna? Why not atheism? Do you know that there is reason to believe in Jesus beyond the fact that he saved my soul? And there's a difference between how many of you know being raised in church all of your life, you can sit in a pew and have it named after your great-grandma and still not see Jesus. It's the truth. It's the truth. You can be in church all of your life and never fall in love with Jesus. So we have got to go deeper and wider in Jesus Christ. And I'm here, as Paul said, to stir you up to your most holy faith and get you excited about what God is doing. And so this morning, I'm going to begin in Isaiah 43. Uh, For some of you, it's a familiar passage. Others of you may not have heard this passage yet, but it's a beautiful portion of Scripture. And I'm going to be reading and using this weekend the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I don't know how many of you... Um, know what Holman Christian Standard is or what translations you all use. But if you go online, you'll be able to find a continuum that really can help you choose at different points of your life what kind of translation you're using. And on either end of this continuum or spectrum, they have word for word in terms of translation and thought for thought. So thought for thought, good ideas and intentions, would be like the Message Bible. Word for word would be an interlineary Greek New Testament Bible. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, in terms of its honoring of the scripture and word for word, is very close to that end of the continuum. And when you preach the gospel, it's very important that you not only preach a word that people can understand, but that it honors the gospel as it has been written. Amen? So that is the purpose of where we're going and why I'm using the Holman Christian Standard. So let's read. It'll be above your heads, but I'm going to read it out of the word of God here. It says, do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Wild animals, jackals and ostriches will honor me because I provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. Somebody say, will declare his praise. We've got to be able to declare his his praise. This is a beautiful Old Testament passage coming, of course, from what we would call a major prophet, the prophet Isaiah. 
And if we study the prophets, whether they be major, and a major prophet is not someone who is more important in the line of, of prophets, but they wrote larger volumes or books. So Isaiah and Jeremiah are considered major prophets. Obadiah and Micah, who have smaller, are considered minor prophets. But Isaiah is probably the most well-known prophet of the Old Testament, perhaps outside of Jeremiah. And so much of Isaiah's responsibility was to warn the people of Israel that God had brought out of bondage to maintain their relationship and intimacy with him. God, we know in his faithfulness, not only delivered his people through Moses out of Egypt, but we know that many of them, because of their own disobedience, wandered in the desert. And sometimes it's easy to look at the word and say, gosh, those people. But how many of you know sometimes we can be those wanderers? We can be the people that get comfortable with our own lives. We get busy with our jobs. We get busy with our agendas. We're running after the kids. We're doing science projects. And we walk away from our first love. We say, God, let's be in a holding pattern. I'll be back in a year or two. And then when we get into a difficult time, then we run back to God as if God is supposed to be there and immediately answer our prayer the way that he wants, we want him to. God, we know, is not a cosmic genie. God is saying, no matter what the season is in your life, no matter what the blessing is, no matter what the difficulty is, I want to be in relationship with you. This passage is about the love of God. This is about intimacy with God. And so as we get past some of those beautiful passages, we just finished Christmas, you all have probably read or recited or sung from Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of his goodness and of his government, there shall be no end. I don't know about you, but I'm wanting a government where there'll be no end, where the Prince of Peace is ruling and reigning, where we're not arguing and we're not split as a nation or as a world across uh, race or across anything else, but our eyes are diverted upwards toward the King of Kings, where we know his goodness and his righteousness is not predicated upon who raised the most money, but upon his goodness alone. And that's what I'm hungry for. And this is a portion of scripture where Isaiah is saying to them, I've warned you. I've told you. I've told you about colluding and being with other gods. I've told you the heart of the Father. Sometimes being a prophet like being a preacher is not a popular role to be in. The job of any good preacher is not to stroke the flesh of people. The job of any good preacher is to bring the good news. And how many of you know good news can be hard news sometimes? Sometimes we need the hard news before we get the good news. My father's a cancer research scientist, and for any of you who are cancer survivors, you know that sometimes you need the hard news so you can get on the road to recovery, amen? So part of what I may be saying this weekend may feel like hard news, but some of us need to be on the road to recovery. Some of us need to get back into the arms of Jesus. Some of us need to get more bold with our children about where they need to be in Jesus. Some of us need to fight more for our marriages. Some of us need to deal with the emotional scarring that we've had from the past that keep us sitting in the pew because we don't want to risk not being understood if we get out there in the game. And so God is saying to them, listen, he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah and saying, I have told you, I have told you to not remember the past events. I don't know about you, but in part of my growing and maturing, one of the things that perhaps I've been a part of, but I know that the God of this age, Satan, has done, is he has tried to stunt my growth by helping me to remember the issues of my past. 
Any of the rest of you ever struggled with that, remembering the issues of your past? The moment that you get bold and try to get out there and do the work of God, Satan's like, oh, no, no, no. Remember you used to do that, or you remember that college drinking binge, or remember that situation? And all of a sudden, we start to shrink back, and we start to sit down in the pew, because we're afraid if people really saw us, if people saw us at the altar, if people saw us coming and asking for prayer, if people knew that our marriages need help, we might lose our reputation. How many of you know we need to leave our reputation at the altar? Because this is a season where God is saying, I don't care about your reputation. I don't care about your money. I don't care about your identity. I care that you are mine. I want you for myself, absolutely, without any questions asked. And too many of us, I think, are suffering. And part of the reason that the church and the world is becoming anemic is because we are becoming self-possessed and we are becoming overwhelmed with the things of this world. And so this is a place where he is reminding the people after he has prophesied that the Messiah is coming, after chapter after chapter, he is speaking the word of the Lord. He said, do not remember the past events. Don't remember when you were in bondage to Egypt. Pay no attention to the things of old. Don't be like Lot's wife looking back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't be full of yourself and full of fear to the point where you become immobilized by fear. Don't look back at your old pain, at your old losses, at times when your businesses were failing. God is saying, stop looking backwards and look forwards. Keep your eyes on me. He said, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. I want you to hear that, and I want you to underline that even now it is coming. It is so important that when life is difficult, when our nation or the nations of the world are raging, it is so important that we listen to this word and says, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. It is like we see a big patch of dirt. It's like we see a field right after the spring. We know that the farmers have planted the seed. We know that they have plowed the fields. And God is saying prophetically, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about a day that is coming when you will start to see the sprouts come up and you will start to see the growth and the increase of your life, but more than that, the increase of my church. God is saying you may not be able to see it now, beloved. But if you can't close your eyes and imagine, imagine a season and a time where the church is at its healthiest, where your life is at its most robust, where your marriage is at its healthiest, when our family members who are not saved, when our children who are wayward are coming home, when we see that we're not just reading the story of the prodigal son, we are being the parents in that prodigal story. For those of us who were the big brother in that story, who have had family members who have depleted resources, siblings who have taken everything, God is saying, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about a time where you're reconciled with your brother and your sister, where your family feuds are over, where you're able to love one another past the pain and the brokenness. He said, I am about to do a new thing. Even now it is coming. This is a prophetic, supernatural way that God is saying, open the eyes of your spirit to see what you cannot see in the natural. When the body of Christ begins to walk in the fullness of what God says spiritually, we will not be so tethered to what it looks like naturally. And sometimes for me in my life, I have gotten tied up in the natural. 
He said, do you not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In the dryness of our lives, in the most difficult places, that is when God is at his best. But it can also be the time when we are in the tug of war with God. Any of you ever been in pain and you feel like God's not answering your prayer and so you take the reins from God and say, okay, God, you know, I waited, I, I asked for that prayer and you didn't answer, so I'm good. I think I'll take the reins from here. God is saying, no, no, no. When you let go of the reins, I can actually be God in your life. Thanks so much for trying to be God, but I got this. I think I sent my son to die on the cross for you and his blood was shed. And he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose on the third day and he's interceding right now for you. So mm, how about we not get in the tug of war? How about you loose your grip so I can be God? Because I actually know what I'm doing. I think I put the stars in the sky and I told the sea where to go. So um, you, not so much. Me, I got it. And God is saying, uh, not so much. It's time to relinquish control. And we know that that is scary. But God is saying, I want to make a way in your wilderness, beloved. What's your wilderness? Is it financial? Is it mental? Is it emotional? Are you just depleted and exhausted? Is your identity in the wrong place? What's your wilderness? God is saying right now in your wilderness experience, and maybe it's not yours, but maybe it's your brother's, or maybe it's your mother's, maybe it's your children. God is saying whatever it is, I'm going to make a way. How many of you know God is a master of making a way? He has a way of standing us in the front of uh, water, bodies of water, and splitting away. Now, if we stood out here on Gull Lake and God started to bust up all the ice and say, walk across that, um, we might start ticking, right? But nevertheless, we might be amazed as well. Verse 20 said, the animals of the field will honor me. Jackals and ostriches. Now that's a strange combination, jackals and ostriches. Jackals are those who are the hunters. They eat the residue. And ostriches are these other strange large birds. But this is like the lion and the lamb concept. God is saying from the most strange of the animals to the most beautiful, they will praise me. Because I provide water in the wilderness. God is a God who makes a way out of no way. And he says, I give water to drink to my chosen people, the people I have formed for myself to declare my praise. The purpose of the church, the reason we are believers in Jesus Christ, the reason that we are sitting here this weekend is to give God praise. It should not take a band of people for us to give God praise. It should not take our checking accounts to be full to give God praise. It should not take optimal health for us to give God praise. Sometimes there has to be something called a sacrifice of praise. When, cheeks, when your cheeks are full of tears, you are saying, God, I praise you anyway. I thank you, Lord, that you are making streams in the desert. I thank you, Lord God, that you're a God who makes a way out of no way, not because I'm experiencing it right now, because your word says it, and you are not a God that should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent, so I will stand on your word alone. The word of God says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. There's a great deal of cultural captivity that our culture is experiencing one of the things that you may have seen and we've seen throughout the history of the Old Testament is what happens when God's chosen people that he has made for himself become enticed, 
by foreign dress, by foreign customs, not so much culturally, but spiritually. When sweet things are said to us, and what has happened with God's chosen people as they've intermingled their souls, they have intermingled their gods. And the God of all creation becomes a God on a smorgasbord. And I see that happening in great and rabid ways in our country. Jesus may be one idea, but, and, and maybe people aren't afraid to talk about God, but when you talk about Jesus as Lord, as the only way, people start to get a little bit frosty. Anyone experience that? If you haven't, I want you to do a test. I want you to go to the grocery store and say, I want you to tell you that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No other one could come to the God except for me. Have a good day. And I want you to just like sprint away quickly. People aren't necessarily ashamed or afraid of the idea of Jesus. What people do not like is his, the exclusivity of the gospel and his lordship. Because when we proclaim his lordship, we are saying to the rest of the governing bodies of this world, you will bow your knee. We are daring to say to other world religions, you will bow your knee. We are saying to ourselves and our own agendas, we shall bow our knee to the one true and living God. It may not be popular, but for all of us who have been saved by this great word, it is true. And in our country, and in Europe where I have been, I see that there is an, such an intermingling sometimes with other gods, whether it be money or industry or other things, that in some ways we have lost our heritage. But God is calling us back. He wants us back. He wants us close. And he wants us whole. Just before this passage in Isaiah 43, Isaiah speaks in the 30th book, verses 19 through 22, and he says, For you people will live on Zion in Jerusalem and will never cry again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears, he will answer you. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during the oppression, but your teacher will not hide himself any longer. Your eyes will see. Here's that supernatural cry again to open our eyes to see. Your eyes will see your teacher. We shall behold the king. We shall behold the Messiah. And whenever you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your silver-plated idols and your gold-plated images. The word of God tells us that my sheep will hear my voice and a stranger's voice who will not follow. And so as we talk about going out with the old and in with the new, part of what God, I believe, is encouraging us to do today through this word is to saying, Lord, help me to be able to see in the eyes of the Spirit what you are doing, particularly when we are in wilderness areas where it seems like we do not have the answers. And let us attune our ears to your voice, that you would make our way plain, and that just like Noah, we would walk in that way even if nobody else goes with us. There are solitary times in our walk with God. Any of you been in desert seasons? Any of you been in solitary times and you're like, God, where are you? The rest of you are just deep and spiritual. You live in the third heaven all the time. So glad to know you. Please come forth and preach this message. Um, there are desert seasons, but God is with us in the desert seasons. Third John 2 says, 
I desire that you would be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. In other words, God wants us to radiate his glory and his goodness. He wants us to be whole and healed from the inside out. Jeremiah 13, 8 through 11, gives us a similar uh, view of this. In fact, this is a companion passage now coming from the prophet Jeremiah. And it, it hearkens again and ties to these passages coming from Isaiah. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. Just like this, I will ruin the great pride of both Judah and Jerusalem. These are his people. These are people who have gone astray. These are places of conquest. He said, these evil people, right? He's talking about Judah and Jerusalem. He's talking about his people. He is saying, these evil people who refuse to listen to me, who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts, and who have followed other gods to serve and worship, they will be like this underwear of no use at all. Just as underwear clings to one's waist, so I fastened the whole house of Israel and Judah to me. This is the Lord's declaration, so that they might be my people for my fame, praise, and glory, but they would not obey. So while we don't want to get, it's a little bit strange to think about this undergarment as we're preaching the gospel, Right, But in that, in that time, it was a piece of fabric where there was a band that was wrapped excessively around and around the body to keep it affixed, similarly to why we have a belt in the full armor of God. And God said, I am disappointed because as I have cried out to you to return to me, as I've given you laws, as I've given you leaders, as I've given you prophets to help you not to align your hearts elsewhere, I am calling you to me because I created you not to be in bondage. I created you to be my glory, to be so close to me, to be affixed to my hip, that everywhere I go, you go. Every miracle I experience, you experience. God wants us to be in step with his spirit, that everything he does, we as his people are praising him because we are able to see in the spirit what the world cannot see. God is closer, my friends, than our own breath. He is closer to us if our own, as our own breath, and we are to be his praise and his renown. We need to be people who speak out of a remembrance. It's one of the things that the prophets did, one of the things that we see after they crossed over, God's people crossed over the Red Sea, and, and, and Pharaoh and his people were swallowed up, is they took stones and made them stones of remembrance. Sometimes we need to do that in our own life. For some of you who are journalers, any of you who are journalers in here, you write down and chronicle the things that God has done for you so that in the wilderness you can go back and say, oh, I remember when God answered that prayer. Because there are times when things are challenging that we struggle to see. The enemy gets in the way and we struggle to see. What are the stones of remembrance that you can use from the blessings of your life that you can lay down and not just lay down, you put them down and you call all of your family together and say, I want us to remember when the Lord our God moved mightily on behalf of our family. And I want us to remember forever the greatness of our God and what he has done. And even if we're not on the other side of this yet, we will have a stone of remembrance laid. When Jesus Christ came, our hearts became that place of remembrance. It became the home of Christ where we for should forever allow him to live. God wants us, my friends, to see with eyes of faith. He wants to build up his body. 
Let me show you a picture of a couple people. See if you know who these folks are. Who are those people? Right? The president and the first lady, I think. We love Chip and Joanna. Some of you have probably made the annual pilgrimage to Waco. Any of you? Annual pilgrimage. Okay. So Chip and Joanna Gaines are some of those people, for those of you who have no idea and don't care, for you ESPN guys who have no idea who these people are, um, Chip and Joanna are beloved people, strong Christians, amen, they are people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they have got a show called Fixer Upper. I wish they would come to Minnesota and Fixer Upper my own home as well, but they stay um, in the wisdom uh, world of Texas. And so Chip and Joanna, I just show them as an example of a number of people, but people of deep faith, who are people who are experts at what they do. Now, one of the things I know to be sure about my spiritual gifts is that having a hammer or nails or anything that can destroy something is not one of my spiritual gifts. If you give me a hammer, I will start to whack and stuff, and my husband's like, that's not what we were trying to, that we, we needed that wall, it was this wall wasn't that one. So now we've cost more money because you are whacking away at this wall. You do not want me to be a part of um, destroying or tearing down things unnecessarily. What I love about Chip and Joanna, if you've ever watched their show, is they take some of the most hideous, weird-looking houses. Any of you ever watched this show? They take some, what we would say in our community, jacked-up houses. And they are able to see from the beginning something beautiful. That is not my gifting. But how many of you know when God is speaking, when God is doing something, you want people who are walking with you who can look at your wilderness and see something beautiful. You want people who can speak to the situation of our lives or of the church or of the United States or of the world and see something beautiful. And what I love about Chip and Joanna is that God has given them not just a beautiful message and a beautiful family that they've been able to share with the world, but God has given them an uncanny ability to be able to see that which will be revealed. And in so doing, they take people and say, trust me. That's what Jesus Christ did in your life and in mine when we chose to surrender. That before the foundations of the world, God saw you and I, and he said, I see something beautiful. Now, they're going to be born in sin, and they're going to come through some difficulty. And there are going to be patches of their lives where they might not feel like they're beautiful. But, oh, my son sees something beautiful, so radiant, so willing. He's so willing to go after them. He's so willing, even though we have tried covenant after covenant and law after law, he is willing to walk in flesh. He's willing to be God himself, wrap himself in flesh. He's willing to walk in the midst of the ugliness of the world, to die for a people who did not know him, that while we were in sin, Christ died for us because he saw something beautiful and radiant called the church, the bride of Christ. You are his chosen possession. We are beautiful to him. And he saw that through the blood of Jesus, which has covered the things of old, the things of your past, he sees something beautiful. And the word of God and worship and the great cloud of witnesses is meant to continue to remind us of who we are. 
The church is called to remind us of who we are. Like Chip and Joanna in this very simplistic example can take something that is old and broken down. Guys, show that picture. They can take something that looks like that. Ready to move in, right? Ready today? Mm -hmm. Ready to move in and they're able to examine it. They're able to walk past the broken windows. They're able to look past the torn up floorboards. They're able to look past the holes in the wall and they are able to imagine. I have read multiple scriptures to you where God is saying, see, look, I'm doing a new thing. You may not be able to see it yet, but it's coming. Some of us have been in these places this may be a metaphor for you to say, I've seen some of these things. I've seen this, but God is saying, oh, I see something so much better. I see something new. I'm willing to tear some things up, but I'm not going to leave it torn up. I'm going to replace some things. I'm going to build some things up. I'm going to remove some things. I'm going to share some things with you. I'm going to nail some things down, and I'm going to pull some things up. But by the time I'm done with you, beloved of Almighty God, you shall be for my praise and my renown. That is what your father wants to do in you. That's certainly what he's doing in me. When we give our lives fully to Jesus Christ, he's not done with us when we say yes. That's when the renovation is just beginning. God showed me it in this manner. There has got to be some examination before the renovation. Any of you house builders or had your houses done? Any of you spent uh, unnecessary amounts of money to have a kitchen remodeled? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an altar call for that. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of money. But we've got to examine some things, amen, before we renovate. We just can't get in there and start swinging or we will destroy and tear up the wrong thing. God wants to examine us and our lives. He wants to show us some things. He wants to examine our lives so that as he's examining our lives, he can renovate and bring and restore our lives and the church and all of the things that impact the church. He wants to bring us to our full glory. Here's what God told me as I was praying about this. He said, we should never, we should be able to be examined by the word and by others if we're walking in his way. What that means is you should be able to examine my life. You should be able to go to my Facebook page. You should be able to go in my life, and you should be able to examine it. And you should be able to do that without my fear of being exposed if I'm walking in Jesus. Even if I got stuff going on, you should be able to examine my life. Too often, we start examining or asking questions, and the first thing we hear is what? Don't judge me. Stay out of my life. Stay out of my business because we're afraid that somebody's going to see something and say, you're not a Christian. How many of you know nobody has a heaven or a hell to put you in but God? And God is doing a renovation project in some of our lives. And God said, if you are walking in me, you should not fear being examined. In fact, what you see and what is revealed when they examine your life should bring joy. There should be no fear of exposure in our lives if we're walking with Jesus. How does that happen? Hebrews 4.12 let the word examine us. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. How many of you know a double-edged sword cuts going in and cuts going out? It penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. 
one of the most important things for the body of Christ today is that we know the word, love the word, and study the word. I love my students. I've been 25 years at this, but this is the most biblically illiterate generation that we have ever had. And how many of you know you will not follow a God that you do not know, and you cannot know him outside of his word? He is the word. And too many of us are running on the fumes of emotion and a high song and a hill song over here and a Israel Houghton over there. How many of you know in the wilderness that's not going to keep you? You need it. It is written words. You need the power of Almighty God. You need the Holy Spirit. You need companions to walk in your life who will love you. And even if they're a part of the examining crew, they will hold your hand through it and say, we're going to get to the end and we are going to see this renovation complete. And what does it look like then when a house is complete, when it's been renovated? Guys, show that picture. When we go back and we look at that house, that's that same house. That's that same house. That is now selling for $950,000 for any of you who would like to buy it. That's the same house. Restored by someone who had vision. Someone who could listen and hear and have a vision so that when they pull those things back and say, are you ready to see your new house? People gasp because what they thought they desired came to pass in a way that was exceedingly and abundantly above all they could ask or imagine. How many of you know God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to what's happening in our lives? God wants to do it for you, not tomorrow, not 10 years down the road, today. He wants to restore your health today. He wants to give you new dreams today. He wants to give you supernatural vision today. Let me encourage you with these final words. As God allows his word to search us, as we allow examination before renovation, I want you to get to that renovation vision that comes from Philippians 1.6 that says that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. When I preach, and I'm not necessarily saying this is you, maybe some of you can nod in agreement, but there are people that I meet who are so weary because they've lived two lives. They live the deacon life. They live whatever, the perfect mom life. They live whatever life they, that they think is going to please people. But when they get inside, they're struggling. They struggle with alcohol. They struggle with pornography. They struggle with anger. They struggle with things. And God wants to remind us that he is doing some examining. And he's allowing our pastors to do some examining and the word to do some examining. Maybe our spouses to do some examining. Not to shame you, but to allow you to be restored to your fullness for the praise and renown of God Almighty. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore. Someone say, therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation, fully renovated, fully restored. The blood of Jesus, the power of Almighty God has done this work. A new creation. Old things have passed away. There it is, old and new. The old things, they're out. The blood of Jesus has taken care of it. The old stuff, the generational curses, the unforgiveness, it's out. The old things are gone. But how many of you know you got to leave it at the altar? Stop picking up dead things once you leave it there. 
Once you leave something at the altar, begin to praise God for the restoration, for helping you to walk through it, to see the end from the beginning, that it's going to be restored in his time and in his perfect will. Old things have passed away. He said, behold, there's that vision language again. All things become new. Pastor Robert Clancy said, broken things are despised oftentimes and thrown out. But with God, broken things can become blessed things if you allow God to do the mending. Am I talking to anybody today? Galatians 2.20 finally says, For I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith. Someone say faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Finally, God calls us to remember a scripture that we speak of a lot, but it is so important as we speak about this language of new sight. God's word says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not half of it, not looking back, with all of your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. God, you should have moved by now. You, you should have done this by now. It should have been this answer. There should have been this result. Lean not to your own understanding. He says, and always acknowledge me, like I said my people of old, as I said to my people who I brought out of the promised land, who I said through the prophets, and finally said through my son, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. There are going to be things that we don't understand in the flesh. God cannot or will not reveal everything to us when we ask, but rather we need to be spiritually mature enough to receive. We need to be meat people over milk people. We need to accomplish some basic things because God now is in a time where he's saying, I've been exploring and expanding now. We want to finish this, re this restoration project, this renovation project, when all of those who hear the name of Jesus, who've been given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, come together when his bride is fully assembled, where he wants to, Jesus, step out and stand up from his royal throne and step back into this world where all wrong things shall be made right. And in the meantime, our call, our sacred goal, is to continue to be light in the darkness, to be the ambassadors of Christ, to be those who understand the way, the truth, and the life, for those who rejoice in God, for those who not just know this word intellectually, but live it bountifully in love of the one who gave his life for us. So as I've laid this out for you this morning, we're going to go into some small groups, and I've got some questions that I want you to think about. If you have a pen, if you have paper, I want you to be thinking about these questions even now. God's word in Isaiah spoke about not looking back at the former things, but instead seeing and perceiving the new things that he is doing. This requires spiritual sight. What, what might God be attempting to show you in this season in your life? How many of you know sometimes God tries to show us stuff and we want to close our eyes? We don't want to see it. Thanks, God, but I don't want to see it. God is saying, open your eyes and look. He did that in Ezekiel. Son of man, what do you see? I see dry bones. I see dead things. I see dysfunction. God said, prophesy, speak to it. You are the prophets. You are the pastors. You are the kingdom people. Speak to those things. Get out in the game. Let's not just get amped about the Vikings potentially being in the Super Bowl, which Jesus might return in the middle of it. Miracle. 
If we get to the Super Bowl, um, I'm practicing my vertical. I got my Michael Jordan on. I'm ready to go because if the Vikings don't, if we win, yeah, it is the apocalypse. Jesus is coming back. That's it. That's going to be the sign. Right? Was it Y2K? It, wasn't, it, it was the Vikings winning the Super Bowl. For those of you who are not Pentecostals, you may start speaking in tongues and fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. What might God be attempting to show you in this season of your life? Question number two, is there any part of your spiritual life or walk that could use some examination or renovation? Three, what is blocking your perception of what God is doing in you, in the church or in the earth? Where are you struggling to see God moving in new ways in your life right now? For God is willing to remove all spiritual blindness and blockages and inability to see his plans for his people. Do you believe that to be true? And if not, what needs to help you? And then finally, what bold, audacious dream or vision or passion or holy desires in your heart? Who have you shared that with? And who can you unleash that with into the rest of the world? Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this first of several conversations that we will have in and through your word. And we thank you for the call and the boldness of the prophet Isaiah and of Jeremiah, both those and those in the New, in the new Testament, Lord God, who call us to see with new eyes, call us to be people of the Spirit, call us, Lord God, to be people who are not like those of old who struggled to obey you, but instead are people who stop wandering and come to you, people who are bold for you, people who are passionate in you, people who are working miracles through you, people who not only love our word and love our communities, but love the world, have a passion for the lost. Sometimes, God, we feel the most lost, and so we struggle to go out there in the world and make it happen. Some of us are marketplace ministries. Some of us are raising up godly children in the home. Whatever our call is, Lord God, you call us to make our calling and election sure. And so, Father God, today, although we begin with a word that you call us to open our eyes and see and to forget the past things, the past failures, the past brokenness, the past hardships, because you're doing a new thing, God, give us new vision today. And as we go into our small groups, as we go into our times of conversation, may they be rich, may they be full, may there be times of confession, may there be times of self-examination, but may there be renovation of joy, restoration of hope, restoration of peace, restoration of a hunger and a passion for you restoration for the deeper things we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word that makes all things new we give it to you god now in jesus name amen